I've always thought that if I can, you know, if you can transpose the situation and you can think that, why is this coach mad at me? What's he got going on? Or if you're dealing with a client and you say, what's important to this person right now? How can I help him get it? Or with my employees, you know, what does this guy need? What are the tools he needs to succeed? How can I get those to him? Instead of thinking, you know, everything, you know, I, I think like the, my favorite definition of leadership is getting people to want to go where you need them to go. Mm. So That's if I can figure good. out in any of those things, you know, refereeing, my 13-year-old daughter, biggest challenge of <laughs> <Good> all, <luck. laughs> uh, refereeing, um, business, anything, if I can figure out how to get those people to want to go where I need them to go, I win. Not always easy, but it's kind of my take on it. All right, everybody got their pants on. We're starting the camera here. Okay, good. Thank you for tuning into the 28th episode of the eltoro.com podcast. And today we have the very first exclusive interview with NCAA referee James Breeding. Now, James Breeding is a gentleman with a diverse portfolio of experience spanning from the military to professional sports and now a successful career in the world of financial instruments. James is a Louisville native and graduate of Christian Academy. He went on to play college baseball on scholarship before answering the call of the armed services and enlisting in the Air Force during the Gulf War. James served six years in the United States Air Force for critical navigation and communication systems on the C-130 aircraft, ensuring our servicemen and women had the tools to complete their missions and make it home alive. James also acted as a unit quality assurance and safety inspector, evaluating maintenance actions for accuracy, safety, and timeliness. While in this role, he supervised, trained, and addressed, and, and, and assessed four apprentices. During his service, James was twice awarded the Air Force Commendation Medal, the Air Force Achievement Medal, and the Southwest Asia Service Medal. Wow. I, I, I suddenly feel pretty inadequate. Uh, I kind of like, I need you to write my resume <laughs> or read it or something. It sounds a lot better when you, when, you, when you say it that way. So after the Air Force, James returned to Louisville, where he received his degree from the University of Louisville. Go Cards. After his studies, James began his career in baseball. Working for the AAA affiliate of the Cincinnati Reds, James has intimate familiarity with the transition from the Louisville Redbirds to the Riverbats, and now the bats. Now, James progressed from an account management position to the director of sales, to the VP of operations, and finally, as the chief operating officer of the Louisville bats. Now, among his many hats, James was responsible for all strategic oversight, the execution of a $17 million annual budget, and he also coordinated the sales and fulfillment of corporate sponsorship as well as luxury suites. In 2018, James Breeding parted ways with the Bats and with his mile-long Rolodex is working as a financial representative with Northwestern Mutual where he will get you rich. Guaranteed. Instantly. Instant. Like Guaranteed. 30 days or less? I think that's what the, uh, the, the, the statement is. Uh, yeah. it, that's the maximum. Maximum <laughs> amount of time, 30 days. Probably okay. my compliance people are going crazy right now. But oh, it's hey, it's that's all fine. good. I mean, that's dude, fine. you made me rich in, what was it, you know, 13 days? Hey, I'm... Something I'm, like that? I don't think... Can you, can you fire an independent contractor? I'm good. Uh, probably not. I'm I mean, good. who cares? <laughs> Just take that Rolodex elsewhere, my man. So, to actually get through... An introduction like that, you know we got to be sipping on some bourbon. Um, so today uh, we have Maker's Mark, and surprisingly enough, we have not evaluated Maker's Mark on this podcast once. 
and calling Bill Samuels right now. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I feel I've, I'm I'm sorry, Bill. I, I really truly am because, and I I think this is why. And a little bit of information here. We might have to edit this out later. Yeah. But um, Maker's Mark and I have a history together, and a lot Shocker. of times, Uh-oh. you know, stories. A lot of my stories tend to start out where we were drinking a bottle of Makers, and these are usually college time stories. You know, nothing ever starts with I was eating a salad. You um, could afford co- Makers in college. I mean, you know, wow. I would steal it from I've my buddies and elsewhere. Oh, I worked okay. at a bar. Sorry. So oh, there we go. There we go. It's all good. Um, but, you know, I'll drink on some makers and, you know, I, I usually lost a couple of spots in the night. So I had to kind of taper off uh, on my ingestion of this. And I, it's, I think it's because it's it's such an easy beverage to consume. I mean, it's it's such an easy drinker. And it's that so it's that red winter wheat that they put in here. So Makers Markets, it's, it's it's a weeded bourbon. And it purports to be America's only handmade whiskey, you know, as they hand rotate every single barrel and they hand dip every single bottle. So I think that's kind of unique. I like that I little shtick. Um, I've, know, I've makes, done their tour. Their tour is amazing. It's, it's probably one it's of like, the best in the I industry. Think, I want to say they have maybe five people that do those labels. It's like the same like old lady. She's just been doing it forever. forever. Exactly. She's, no. she's a boss. She's a killer. Well, it's a family affair. I, and I... I want to say that these folks are outside, like Loretta, yep, uh, somewhere somewhere along those Jude lines. Jude Thompson country. Mm-hmm. Oh, it is Jude Thompson country. I forgot about that. I forgot yeah. He was from Loretto. He is, uh, and it's Loretto, not Loretta. Yeah, Loretto. Uh, uh, you can't pronounce it incorrectly with these Kentucky folks. They will crucify. And you. their marketing people have done an incredible job pouring wax on everything they possibly can yes. to market Indeed. their brand. I mean, dude, I've got a Christmas ornament on our tree. That's a Christmas tree, derby stuff. Got their glasses. Yes, yeah, it's uh, incredible. Uh, oh, I've got a bow tie. That's my. That's my. Yes. That's a derby oh, every year. Yes. I've got a bow tie that's a Maker's Mark <clears throat> label, and it's dipped on the side it's the best bow tie at the derby every we time I, had, it, I throw that out every time we had it's wax covered baseballs makers mark baseballs at Amazing. the bats one year super cool nice so cool. now yep. in just for the interest of full disclosure here makers mark is not a sponsor of the el toro.com podcast we'll talk to Bill about be, that man. too but they could be right. I could see a nice wax oh, logo. Right yeah, we up could here. have a waxed room yeah. on the lava lamp. We're planning. Awesome. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Oh, Listen, amazing. write these down, guys. Mm. Um, so each batch of Maker's Mark, is, and I find this incredibly interesting. Is they're they're from about nineteen separate barrels. I mean, if you're only talking like you know, we're talking let's call it two hundred bottles in a barrel. I mean, you're talking a, a batch of four thousand bottles which you know it's a lot but in the context of mass-produced bourbon that's a very small quantity uh which i find very impressive so they use a sour mash style of bourbon where they actually use some of the old fermentation in each new batch so it the story goes that every bottle of maker's mark still has some of that historic blend in it due to the way they make this it's kind of like how they do like yogurt or friendship bread or something like i mean i I know did you know this no, no. <laughs> well, I mean, he knows about friendship bread so because we give each other friendship yeah, bread all, all the time. time. We trade this all the no, time. No, this, this yeah. maker's friendship info is awesome. Hey, I've man. done the tour and I didn't know this. <laughs> oh, sweet, sweet. I remember in the tour them saying something about the... Does it have whiskey on the label? Does it have whiskey on the label? It does have whiskey on the label. And how they take the E out? They do. There's a, there's a story <clears throat> and a reason behind that, and I don't know what it is, but if you are curious, you should look it up. Maker's Mark is the reason why I'm confused as to how you should spell whiskey. Right, for somebody for sure. who drinks as much whiskey as how I do. How drunk am I? Yeah, Damn it, there Maker. Was an e there, right? The hours you <laughs> stared at that label. Oh, no yeah. e. It's true. Is it wrong? Is it wrong? <laughs> is, am I wrong? Yeah. <laughs> so this is a weeded bourbon, as I mentioned earlier, and they use a unique type of wheat. It's a red winter wheat. It is 16% wheat, 70% corn, 
and 14% malted barley. Um, so when you nose this, we have, I, I can't lie to you guys anymore. We, we've been drinking today. So, I mean, let's, <laughs> let's kind of backpedal a little bit and, you know, let's nose this bourbon up a little bit. Um, so I, when I smell makers, I usually smell, I mean, go ahead and tell me what you smell, James. You're the guest of honor today. Uh, you know, I'm not a bourbon expert, but, um, you know, a little oak, little, little fruit. Yeah. Um, again, I'm, I'm not a connoisseur, you know, I'm sure, you know, my early twenties and thirties, I'd, you know, if it came in a squeeze bottle, I drank it. And, uh, so this is a <laughs> step up for me. Um, and I honestly, I didn't know they'd spelled whiskey wrong until you just told me. Mm-hmm. So, uh, mm-hmm. but, uh, no, v- very good. And, you know, and plus the, you know, the glassware that you're serving in enhances Oops. this greatly. It um, is classy. But the, but the so listeners classy. probably can't see these El Toro trademark yeah. unique glasses. Branded tumblers, uh, crystal, crystal, all made Waterford crystal. Um, they are fancy. So it was interesting. Waterford's so low, right? <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, exactly yeah. right. It's an offshoot of Waterford. It's a little bit more exclusive. <laughs> yeah. um, so the nose, I actually had notes here that it's sweet and oaky as well. So, I mean, I, maybe that's the fruit. But it, that sweetness, I believe, comes off that red winter wheat. Um, and maybe I'm talking out of my rear here, but that's okay. I mean, it's, it's I can't believe I got that right. I didn't cheat <laughs> We can do it. We can do it. Mind we want. I, lo- I love the, uh, the the term red winter wheat, though. I think that's great. Oh, yeah. Are there other kinds? That's is there like blue summer wheat? Is there pink? There is pink spring. Make a yeah. What what other? That's Orange kind of fall wheat. I had no idea yeah. that there was well, I mean, that specificity we, in the wheat game. You when know? we sell our first barrel, I mean, we'll we use will, a summer will, blue wheat, or, or at least we'll call it. <laughs> that. Do we have we'll an autumnal bourbon yet? Um, we're oh, working man. on that That's right coming. now. We're, oh, it's, it's did deep. I did I touch on something proprietary yeah, man, there? Yeah, you know what? It's Top secret. We cannot confirm. This is a live podcast, and we cannot talk about this. This is super, super secret stuff. The the producer's giving me the slit throat. (laughs) Cut, cut. So this is a risque podcast. There's a lot of stuff we can and cannot talk about. You know, exactly. Be very careful about what we talk about. Got to be tactful. Um, So when you actually get it onto your palate, when you get this makers onto your palate, uh, I think a lot of those same notes will carry through that sweet, that oakiness. Um, I get that sweetness on the front side of the palate. Uh, Once again, I think that's the winter wheat. And it's a really, really easy finish, and it doesn't linger around for me. It doesn't burn as it goes down the windpipe. I thoroughly enjoy it. Um, and I think a good a good descriptor, once again, is Maker's Mark is easy to drink, y'all. So easy. Um, but as I said, if you have a lot of it, pieces of the night will not come back to you. <laughs> Budget-friendly. Mm-hmm. Budget-friendly, it is. It truly is. I mean, it's, what, sub-$30 for a fifth? It's not bad. Time travelers, you know. I'll take it every day of the week. Mm-hmm. So, I'm a financial planner, so I'm always thinking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always thinking of ways. Have you saved for college yet? Yep. Um, so, a lot of people, they really dream of working and holding management positions in a professional sports environment. Um, I know you played baseball, but really what guided you from working in the military to coming back into Louisville and then finding a role in, you know, perhaps one of the most storied franchises in baseball history. Yeah. So um, for me, it was more, you know, I've always said when I was growing up that I wanted to do something I enjoy. Um, Love sports, played basketball and baseball in high school, played baseball in college, um, went in the military because I honestly needed money for college. Uh, Took the Montgomery GI Bill, Mm -hmm. uh, came back here. Uh, Most of my family was here. Um, and my last year in the Air Force, I'd been overseas about 265 days and um, had met my now wife, 
who um, I knew was going to be my wife. And when they tell you, hey, by the way, that 265 days overseas, yeah, we need to talk about that. So mm-hmm. got out, came back here, and um, I knew I wanted to work in sports. I was actually studying to be a math teacher and an athletic director because everybody told me, you can teach math, you can get a job. Plus, I like numbers. Okay. So that works. Very fair. I was like, hey, right, I can do this. Um, it's 1998, so Louisville Redbirds then just got approval to build a new stadium downtown little Slugger field woo-woo. um woo uh, awesome place still an awesome place and uh so i did my internship there for free like most sports internships mm-hmm. are where you um basically perform uh, enormous amounts of labor for absolutely nothing yeah sure. <laughs> sure. probably like an el toro internship sure. Very, sure. Very exactly similar. uh the way internships should be i've mm-hmm. never been paid before yeah forget that mm-hmm. you know all those supreme court rulings you just ignore those you yeah. just work yeah. just make those people work for free it's irrelevant yeah. but um they basically said to me hey we're ramping up we're improving mm-hmm. expanding organization to move the new stadium i just started refereeing basketball which i know we'll get to and so they kind of sold me on the, hey, you'd have a lot more time to referee basketball if you were working for a baseball team than you would be trying to get days off from JCPS. So I ain't a rocket scientist, but that sounded pretty logical. Sounds pretty good. True. Yeah. True statement. Yeah. So um, took the job uh, and didn't have any idea I'd be there 20 years later and would have gone from unpaid intern to COO, but um, pretty awesome. That's, That's great. That's a climb. That's a climb. Pretty awesome. Um the franchise itself was great. We were a Cardinals affiliate, then a Brewers affiliate, and then in 2000 went to be a Reds affiliate. Um, opened Louisville Slugger Field on April 12, 2000. At about 3 a.m. that morning, um, my comrades and I were laying underneath picnic, picnic tables, putting them together on the third wow. base tiered patio. Wow. Um, it, when they say that stuff goes up to the very last minute, that's Man. an understatement. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But yeah, uh, yeah. it was awesome. But, but you know, you, you kind of touched on it, and I'm you know, obviously happy to answer more questions about it. But uh, working in sports super fun, super long hours, super low pay compared to other industry jobs. Roger that. But as you mentioned, you loved it. You know what I mean? Loved like, it. You loved it. I did. Um, and I think that if you have a passion for sports and you can find the right organization, mm-hmm. sports is no different than any other business. Mm-hmm. There are great organizations in sports and there are really awful ones. Terrible. There are great organizations in marketing mm-hmm. and uh, business and healthcare and every other industry in the world. And there are really bad ones. And in my opinion, it all boils down to your management, the people you work for and how they treat the people in their organization. Right up. Couldn't agree yeah. more. And Couldn't something more. you hit on a little earlier, Slugger Field is absolutely gorgeous. It's without a doubt the nicest facility in the minor leagues, yes. hands down. I've been to a lot of minor league baseball fields. Yes. Um, this is a stadium. Mm. I will tell you that if you mm. look at any other stadium that was built and there was a boom of these because people saw there were money in having a minor league baseball stadium with luxury suites in the mid to late 90s into the early 2000s. So the perception of minor league baseball that you see in Bull Durham, old crappy stadiums with flooding water and eight people in the stands kind of transitioned into a you know, we can build bars and Jack Daniels lounges and mm-hmm. um, and club seats and luxury suites, and we can make money on minor league baseball. It's a fantastic social it's affair. A fantastic social affair. But I think what separated Louisville Slugger Field, to give a shout out to Scott Shoemaker, he's the director of uh, stadium operations there, VP of stadium operations now, is <clears throat> I think there's no, I would almost say no athletic facility in the country that 20 years later, is in the, as good a condition as it was when it was built in 2000. 
And, um, you know, the city of Louisville's done a good job helping with that. Uh, great management, great people. Um, it's still a wonderful place for you to take your family, watch a baseball game for a, a 10 buck ticket and dollar concessions on Tuesday nights. Certainly. And it's, it's just an awesome place to be. I mean, I'm gone, but I still love the place. Exactly. Well, I mean, a lot of times folks tend to have, uh, or have a tendency to, you know, lift an institution up onto a pedestal in their mind's eye or, you know, a specific role within an institution, you know, it's a mentality where everything's just kind of a field of candy canes and gumdrops before you actually get into it. But what aspect of like working in professional sports administrations kind of lived up to the hype that you had perceived in your mind of, you know, kind of working in a field that you love? Yeah. You know, when you, to me, the highs were, you know, when we filled that place up and it was so crowded, you could barely walk around, but people were literally having fun, walking around, eating candy, hanging out on the lawn packed on thunder day and july 3rd and you realize hey you know we're part of this you know yeah. we're, we're the one that's put this here yeah. for people in the community to enjoy um you know we're providing something that people and families value those were awesome times for me um you know and, and the lows more surrounded dealing with the small things um you know if you're going to put a seven hundred fifty thousand people through any door they're not all going to be happy. And um, so there were times when clearly, you know, we fell short. A couple of times we switched the ticketing system once and we had people that got in about the seventh inning because we screwed up Will Call. Mm -hmm. Um, That wasn't a good day for my phone the next morning. Um, (laughs) uh, I can think of three or four times where we fell short in customer service and we were sending out email blasts and handing out vouchers that said, please come back for free next time. We didn't meet your expectations. Mm. And um, to me, as an organization, that's one of those things is, um, you know, you define what your goals are and what you're going to try to do to meet people's expectations, provide the experience they deserve. And when you don't do it, there's accountability on your end. Exactly. 100 percent. At least you at least you said that at least you're accountable and you're giving them something. That's the worst. If you have like a terrible experience, and they're just like, well, get out of here. And, they, you know, we're not doing anything for you. Yeah. And what yeah. we always try, what I always try to do is when I recognize, you know, an hour into after we've opened gates, hey, we've screwed this up. I didn't want them to get out of the stadium, especially with the advent of social media and unfiltered access to millions of people. I didn't want them to have the opportunity to say, this place sucks. These guys have screwed us so bad tonight. We didn't mm-hmm. get into the seventh inning. They don't know what they're doing. The customer service is terrible. And that's where there was a ticketing line, a concession, a restroom. So what we tried to do is be proactive. As soon as we saw that we were going to fall short somewhere, I wanted them seeing something on their phone via push notification and email or whatever saying, hey, you may still be sitting here right now, and we know we haven't met your expectations. Here's what we're doing to fix it. The preemptive strike is always way better than dealing with the aftermath. Oh, for sure. 100%. Cover up sorts in the crime. So they'll always say. <laughs> and in customer service, that's an absolute, complete, and true statement. That is 100%. I mean, I, I love can. love that. <laughs> well, you think about, like, I, I've, I've had a lot of vendors that have kind of like worked on my house, things like that, and it's a totally different field. But you think about the ones that you're particularly fond of, and it's when something goes wrong, who's willing to stand behind, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. yeah, we made a mistake. That's oh, yeah. on us. Let us go out of our way to fix that. And, oh, by the way, we'll apologize to you through the the teeth throughout the process. And that kind of shows someone's true colors. Right. Uh, Well, and I think that, um, you know, we always told told people when we had interns and uh, sales reps come in that, you know, if you would view a problem or a shortfall as an opportunity to build a greater customer, then you at least haven't had a completely negative experience. 
I, and I'm the same way. You know, if if I go somewhere or buy something and then I take it back and they're like, hey, no problem at all. We're going to help you or we're going to do this. How much more likely are you to go back there? Of course. Yeah. You know, you send sure. food, you send food back because you don't like it. And they come out and say, sir, we're sorry. Your first meal wasn't good. Your second one's on the house. Yeah. You're walking out of there. You're not mad. You're fine. You okay, fix it. <laughs> but if it's still on your bill and then you had three hours to eat instead of yep. one because you had to wait for your entree to get redone, what are you yep. thinking? I'm out. Not yeah, going back. That's true. Yep. Now, with that job as well, like working at the Bats as long as you had and with as much influence as you had, how did you guys come up with the Bat? Was it always the bat? Was that your? Were you the bat guy? No, 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 no. I was Buddy Bat. I was the mascot. Actually, I may be. Hmm. I may be one of two or three people in the history of the organization. I was Billy Bird, and then I was the River Bat, Uh and then I was Buddy Bat. So. At some point in time, I donned all three costumes. Wow. And uh, I was abysmal at all three. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, when you see the super energetic bat who's, like, walking on his hands and yeah. doing that cool stuff, yeah, uh, that wasn't me. Yeah. I was hanging out in the dugout. I got to get in the I shade. Was, I, was, I, was, I was the Billy Bird and the Buddy Bat that there were people like, dude, what happened to Buddy tonight? Is he sick or did he drink before yeah. he got here? What in the world is wrong with the bat? That's so, a long night. Um, That's just one of those things you but don't But, no, I did not. Happen. I was not involved with the advent of the bat. Um, you know, I think, <laughs> and, and I'm – I. I was an intern when we chose and did the move and then an entry-level sales rep. So I was not in the decision-making process. But in Louisville, Kentucky, if you don't want to isolate the blue fan base or the red fan base, you don't pick colors that are blue. You don't pick colors that are red, That's and you fast. don't affiliate that with a smart, you smart, don't affiliate smart. with a cardinal, and we'll you don't affiliate the, with a cat. Right. So uh, we had a non-cat, non-cardinal, non-red, non-blue mascot. And um, very smart. Stayed pretty neutral. I'm sitting here thinking of all the strange local team with the soccer team. Their colors are purple. Yep. We used to have a hockey team, and they had the frog. Wasn't it the frog? Yeah, we were frogs. We owned totally. that. Oh, well, there you go. Oh, my, really? I had no my idea. first uh, experience working for the franchise, we owned the River Frogs and the Redbirds at the same time. I worked two games on the concourse, concourse at the customer service booth of the Louisville River Frogs at Broadbent Stadium. Wow. wow. But to your point, you're absolutely right. And if yes. you, I'm, I'm going to date myself here but in the early 90s there was a cba team here and they were the louisville catbirds they tried to combine the two. Oh no let's just no one let's just please everybody because that's easy yeah that yeah that's just uh i'll just let's just be be honest it was awful yeah impressive i mean i've I've never actually spoken to somebody who has intimate knowledge with the river frogs i i saw a buddy of mine he had a he had a jacket yeah. Uh, from his childhood, it was mm-hmm. a River Frogs jacket. And I said, man, that is the coolest mm-hmm. jacket My I first ever business saw. card had the River Frog on the left, the Red Bird on the right. I've still got it. Oh, nice. nice. It's for sale. For sale. <laughs> For the low price of what, two thousand, three thousand dollars? Uh for two two bucks and a bottle of um, <laughs> red winter wheat makers yeah, bar. You can be the proud owner. So perfect. So I mean, when you're dealing with a triple A team, there are I mean, dude, there's constantly changing variables. There's mascot changes, as you've mentioned. Yep. There's an inordinate amount of player changes. I mean, what helps you? I mean, what did you kind of draw to to help build an identity for a program like that? Because it's not always built around winning. No, no, you no, know? no. You so minor league baseball, and this um, uh, a misconception people have is you have zero control over the players you have, the team you have, the quality of the team on the field. Hmm. So um, our organization, before I got there, long before I got there, adopted a uh, customer service, customer friendly, um, clean, fun, affordable baseball mantra because. 
you, you know, one year you might have the top five prospects in the Reds organization and you might be really good. And the next year they might have all gotten called up and you might have guys that just came up from single A or short season A and you can be awful. That can change week to week. Mm. We played in the playoffs one year, and minor league baseball is weird like this. Um, Major league baseball call-ups are on September 1st. So you can have the same great minor league team through August 31st, and then if your major league affiliate says, we want your best 10 guys because we can expand rosters from 25 to 40, and we want to see if these guys can play in the big leagues. So you can lose your best 10 players the day before you start the playoffs. Wow. That's it. That's so true. we, two at least two different years when we entered the playoffs, we were literally uh, scraping the independent league of non-affiliated baseball and trying to get guys to come over from like Evansville and Iowa to play in the playoffs because um, wow. we lost players to the major league call-ups. Now, the flip side of that is Nightmare. it stinks for our fans, and it stinks for us because they've watched this really good team all year, and now we've got four or five guys in a lineup they haven't seen all year. Mm-hmm. But the big picture of minor league baseball is our single goal outside of providing affordable family fun entertainment was to get guys to the big leagues. So put the you know the height of those guys' career, they got the call. You know, mm-hmm. hey. they, they made the show. You know, mm-hmm. you see the movies, The Rookie yeah. and all those. And, of course. Uh, and it's it's what it's all about for them. It's just a strange dynamic that your Louisville Bats team you watched all year that was awesome is yeah. not the Louisville Bats team you're watching in the playoffs. So, <sighs> and which, but that's back to your question. That's why, you know, if you think about the promotions that the Bats have done historically and what they've tried to focus on, it's more on uh, making Star Wars night, dollar beers, family fun nights, kids eat free, fireworks, events, um, events yeah. because, you know, we could market, you know, Tim Tebow was in town last mm-hmm. week playing for awesome. Syracuse. Awesome. You know, Syracuse could market Tim Tebow, but if the Mets decide they want him, all of a sudden their entire marketing campaign just went to hell in a handbasket because yeah. there's no more Tim Tebow. Mm-hmm. You can't take away dollar hot dogs and kids eat free. Right. <laughs> Straight so, up. Better not. And I think that's, you know, <laughs> they, the focus was on customer service and bringing people here for the experience, not necessarily the baseball. That's baseball exactly was right. a bonus. Right. Hmm. That's fantastic. Wow. I mean, I get to see it through my kid's eyes all the time now. Mm-hmm. And I mean, heck, the fact that he eats for free. Uh, Tremendous. Geez, my kids, honestly, and <clears throat> we never officially did a poll, but I always swore that if we did an exit survey, I honestly believe 20 years of experience, 50, 50% of the people, if we did an exit poll, wouldn't know if we won or lost. That's so true. That's very That's true. so true. I guarantee it. I, I'm. I mean, when you leave the El Toro Suite, you don't know if you've watched baseball or soccer. <laughs> Having the foggiest idea. So I know you don't know if you won or lost. Don't tell my listeners that. Yeah. <laughs> Are we watching again? Yeah. So what, what kind of, I mean, you know, your life obviously progressed a great deal over the course of the 20 years you were with the Bats. What led you away from, you know, working with the most storied institution in baseball? Family. Yeah. Time management. Balance. Um, you and I talked about this. You go through different Indeed. phases of life. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, when you're in the in your 20s, your priorities and what you're doing are vastly different than what they are when you're 35 to 45 and 45 and beyond. So, you know, 20 years for me, and mine was probably a little worse. God bless my wife um, for being a single mom for about half the year because 72 home baseball games of which even with a great management team where we share responsibilities. We were, I was at the stadium about 60 nights in the summer every weekend pretty much. 
And then basketball season, I'd go referee, and every college basketball team in the country plays on Saturday and then one day during the week. So, you know, she was having 120 nights at home doing, you know, third grade homework and sixth grade homework. And uh, so... um, and you were the math teacher, yeah. too. And Come I was on. the math teacher. So I was, I was actually uh, helping my wife last night, or my daughter, figure out the area of irregular shapes. So oh, cool. how much time we got, I might be cover that. No, I'm just <laughs> um, but no, um, so for me, I've always, and, and I'm not, not, not to give a religious pitch, but for me, I've always tried to think about the three things in life I want to be, you know, super important to me are faith, family, and job in that order. Um, and you know, the top two are hard to do when job consumes everything else. Amen, brother. So when three had become one and you're 45 years old, it's different when three's one and you're 25 and single. Mm -hmm. Correct. So, um, you know, Northwestern Mutual, I was a client, great company. I knew the guys there, um, had confidence and trust in not only what they were doing, but what they did personally. Um, so when I started thinking, Hey, you know what? I don't need to be gone 130 nights anymore. Um, I got a 13 year old daughter. She's only gonna be at home six more years. Yeah. I got a fourth grade son who's only going to be home eight more years. So for me, it was, do you want to step out now, bet on yourself and go do something you've never done before where you're not guaranteed a salary and a paycheck now or do you want to do that eight years from now when your kids are gone and they're in college? Mm-hmm. So um, if I'm going to have to go into a position where basically you're going to eat what you kill and, you know, you're going to have to generate your own income outside of a salary, um, if I'm rolling that, that dice, I want that dice to be rolled for a, a greater reason. My reason was I want that time with my kids and my family. Um, and I love the baths. It's a hard decision. I mean, of those course, are yeah. all those people there um, were either people that I hired or hired me. Um, family, it'd be like you know you if you told you know Sean and these guys, hey, I'm out. You know that that that, that would not be easy. No, um, right. so not an easy decision. I'd probably um, have to get hit by a bus to do that. <laughs> do you have life insurance? I do, I do. Okay, I'm just to make sure if he's going to get hit by the bus, he's got to be a client of mine first. Right. <laughs> um, but once he is a client, you we you know then all bets are off. So yeah. I, you know, my, my, I've told my wife I'm worth way more than I dead than I am alive. Straight up, me Hope too. she doesn't listen to this. But, uh, <laughs> um, but no, I honestly just um, wanting to know that the next eight years, while I've still got, um, you know, for the sake of sounding like a corny, corny family man. I've still got my kids in my house to spend my sure. quality time with them. Because once you send them off, you're never getting them yeah, back. You don't no. get that time back. No, no. man. You, you don't get that. Um, I, I read a ton of you know books because I'm on a lot of airplanes in the winter. And one of the things that's always resonated with me was um, you can always make more money. You can't make more time. Mm. So mm. Um, that was it. You know, I've had I had a million people grill me on, oh, you know, what's wrong? Why are you leaving the bats? Did something go wrong? Is the new ownership, mm. you know, pressing you out and things like that? And um, uh, no, I got a 13 year old and a 10 year old, and they're going to be gone in a few years. And I don't, I don't want to be the guy in the cats in the cradle song. Yeah, yeah, that clock for is sure. ticking. That clock's ticking. So yep. poetically simple, man. Yeah, yeah. Well yep. done. Yeah, that's great. Now, yeah. if I'm bankrupt. And asking you for a loan a, difference. a year from now when uh, when we're doing this podcast and it's all about, um, you know, uh, uh, options for filing bankruptcy and how to survive financial Shoot. crisis, then you know that we're in trouble. But I That th- Rolodex ain't drying up anytime soon. I think soon. we're okay on that front for so long. 
Now, you've been a college referee for some time. You talked about all the travel in the winter. It's it's because of your college basketball referee. Yeah, right? so um, I got in Division One in the Ohio Valley Conference in 2000. So I guess I just finished my 20th season. Um, you know, the path is um, different now um, than it was then. Honestly, mm. there's a lot more people trying to do it now at a younger age. Um you know, when I started, there might have been a few guys in the country that did it for a living, but the rest of the people, you know, you had a full-time job, you were a teacher, a financial advisor, mm-hmm. whatever, and then you refereed um, for supplemental income. Um, now we we got a lot more guys that referee for a living, but for me, loved basketball. Um, I actually played basketball in the Air Force, and um, I was such a jerk on the court. <laughs> I mean, I was like, I was like. Uh, Christian Leitner, Rashid Wallace, you know, combined into oh, wow. one where I would yell at the referees. And um, oh, yes. and a buddy of mine finally said to me, he was like, can I, can I cuss on this? Absolutely. Yes. Sure. Go for he it. was like, dude, you're such an asshole. Why don't you try to do this? Yeah. And I was like, well, I could do it better than you. Uh. So he hands me his whistle and he's literally like, go for it. <clears throat> yep. And, um, and I, I did it and I, Sucked. <laughs> you got eaten up, didn't you? I didn't realize how quick things happened and how quick you had to make decisions. But at the same time, I was like, I kind of like this. And yeah. I'm not getting any younger. I can't play rec ball, intramurals, in the old man's league forever. And by the way, they pay me to do this. Oh, yeah. uh, so uh, that, was yeah. my, that was my last year in the Air Force. I got out on December 31st, 96. <clears throat> so... When you're at the end of your Air Force career and you're what they call a short timer, you're no longer. So I was in a mobility unit, so we were overseas most of the year. But then when you get to be a short timer, they won't send you overseas because you got to out process and get ready to get out. Mm-hmm. So um, I spent like the last three months, all I did was referee hoops every day. Nice. And um, kind of got the bug and the fever. Came back here, worked two years of high school basketball. Um Ironically enough, a guy who uh, was in the SEC saw me referee in a rec league game, and he was like, you have no training and no idea what you're doing, but you're pretty fast, and you could probably be good at this if somebody actually teach you what you're doing. <laughs> I just right. realized, I suppose it's not going there, but my, my dad referees bas- like high school basketball around here. His name is Bob McConnell. Yeah, I've heard that name before. Yeah. I said, I you, he's been doing the same deal. He's been for like 20-something years. Yep, yep. And, it's a, and I've, I've, I've talked about this. People don't realize that you've <clears> got to be crazy to be a sports official. Because as yeah. a general rule, most people aren't refereeing at a high level. You know, if there's 10,000 sports officials and there's way more than that, you know, there's only, you know, 100 of them going to the NCAA basketball tournament. And there's only, what, 20 of them ref, uh, umpiring the football Final Four playoffs. The rest of the people are crazy people who love the game, but they're on Friday night going to let some lunatic parent yell at them yeah. <laughs> for 50 bucks a game. And mm. football guys are crazier because they're doing it in the weather. Yeah, that's At least nuts. I'm inside, you yeah. know. Um, so, you know, my path was kind of OVC, TAC, which is now the Atlantic Sun. Then I got in the SEC. I got in Big East, got in the ACC. Um, had really good mentors, really good pe- teachers, and people that, you know, kept me from doing anything stupid on or off the yeah. court, you know. Yeah. You, but, had, you know, if you, you know, if I drank that rest of that bottle of Makers, went and got a DUI, they'd fire me. That'd be bad. Yeah. So, um, and then on the court, I haven't had any career-ending plays, which, you know, people, um, that's the thing. Basketball, college basketball, you're an independent contractor. So you're one injury or one bad call away from going from 60 games and making pretty good money to making 
zero. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and you've also refereed, you know, you, you've refereed over 11 NCAA tournaments. Yeah. You have, and you've been involved in a lot of those games that it's not that somebody was better or worse. It's somebody kind of more so won via attrition yes. than the game plan or better athleticism, things like that. And I mean, I'm, I'm speaking specifically of that, uh, that 2009 Big East tournament game between UConn and Syracuse that yep. was, did I say it already, six overtimes? Six overtimes, yep. Six overtimes. Yeah, I mean, wow. dude, it was, is there ever a point where you're like, how the hell am I going to keep up with these kids? <laughs> yeah. Well, the best thing about that game was um, it First of all, it was the fourth game of the day in the Garden. Oh, Cause, Jesus. Because it's the it's the Were you quarter, all the ones before No, me? no, no. Quarterfinals of the Big East Tournament. So there's a noon game, a 2.30 game. Then they clear the Garden, bring in people for the 7 o'clock game. So we started like, I don't know, they, they, Syracuse just did a oral history of it. It's pretty good. But I think we started like at 9.30. And um, so by the time we get to like overtime three, even the Connecticut fans that had called me every name in the book for like the first three hours, they were like, Man, we surrender. <laughs> They're like, you you really do suck, but we're so tired of telling you you suck that we surrender. And by the way, the game's so good, please just don't screw it up. <laughs> and honestly, I you know, people don't realize as an official, the last thing in the world you want is to have to interject yourself and be wrong or oh, yeah. to be, you know, the focus of the game. Mm-hmm. No, none of us want that. Right. You know, I mean, people talk about guys' egos and, you know, you want to do this, you want to do that. I, like, I've had people say to me, um, hey, I didn't know you refereed that game. That's the greatest compliment ever. We, actually, I think I told you the story. Flying home from that game, the game ended at one thirty-two in the morning. I had a 6 a.m. flight to come back and work at the bats. So um, I leave the garden, go back, and we've got our little hospitality room. Of course, nobody's in the hospitality room because it's now like 2.30 by the mm-hmm, time we got yeah. a cab out of the garden. Um, there's some warm Coors lights that were cold like six hours ago. Yeah. There's some cold pizza that was warm six hours ago. So I ate like two pieces of cold pizza, went to my room, packed, got a cab. This is pre-Uber. Got a cab, went to uh, LaGuardia, flew home, and I had a connection. I think at the time I was connecting in Charlotte, and there's it's closed now, but there was a Chili's in Charlotte, and I walked up, and there's like 17 TVs and our game highlights are on every one of them. And at the end of the overregulation, I had counted Eric Devendorf's shot to end the game. And then we went to the monitor and saw that I was wrong. It was the single greatest incorrect call in the history of basketball. I screwed it up and it was awesome because it led to the six overtime game. Um, But this guy looks at me and he's like, man, did you freaking see this game last night? To you. <laughs> to me. And I'm, and I'm uh, like, there's a part of me is like, dude, you just watched me on 17 TVs. <laughs> and he had zero clue. Mm-hmm. But to me, that was awesome. That's great. Like, I, I still have people say to me, you know, um, who, who was the other guy that refereed the Big East Tournament Six Overtime game? Because the other two guys, John Cal and Bob Donato, each refereed like 10 Final Fours. They're like refereeing legends. Hmm. And at the time, I'm just the, the third guy to throw in. <laughs> I'm like the the player to be named later in the worst trade in, in Major League Baseball history, but um, yeah, wow. that one that one was awesome. So um, you did a carrier game too, didn't you? Uh, refereed the first game that they played on the USS Carl Vinson out in San Diego. Um, cool. The first aircraft carrier game, Michigan State, North Carolina. Um, Draymond Green was oh, on Michigan wow. State at the time. Harrison wow. Barnes on Carolina. Um, Awesome experience. They hadn't done one before. It was the 10th anniversary of 9-11. No, um, it was kind of the uh, game of that. So 
Um, super cool experience, which later um, the USS Carl Vinson is the ship where they had apprehended Osama bin Laden. So that's my like mm-hmm. claim to fame that I was on that ship where they, I'm not going to say any really derogatory yeah, things, but I was, as a veteran, I will tell you, I was super proud that we got him. You got him. My we, man. Got, we got <laughs> him. We got him. <laughs> well put. Yeah. That's great. Man. Very well correctly put. That's great. That's cool. So what's the, I mean, some random questions here mm-hmm. about yep. refereeing. Mm-hmm. Most people you've ever ejected from a game. Mm. Ooh, pretty recent. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. We, um, wasn't that Auburn UVA game one? No, that's, uh, no ejections in that one. I probably should have ejected myself, but no. I, uh, um, no, the uh, who do we have? Uh, Seton Hall Marquette game this year. I think we ejected four people at nine technical fouls. Wow, so a little skirmish there. But you know that really pales in comparison because NCAA rules. Um, if you like have a fight on the court and people come off the bench, they all get ejected. They're all gone. So like um, Eastern Kentucky and I think Moorhead about 15 years ago finished a game three on two. <laughs> was there a fight? Or they had a fight. Like, yeah. Had a fight. People came off the bench. So they've you know, thrown out a ton of people. Um, and they finished the game. Travis Ford, I think it was the time, was a coach at Eastern Kentucky. Wow. Kentucky alum, played at UK and coached at Oklahoma State now at St. Louis. And, um, yeah, I'm pretty sure they finished three on two. It's probably an interesting game at that point. Exactly, like, this is a weird game. Huh? You know, I'm I didn't hear about that. It, it, and it's been a, it's been a solid fifteen years. But I will tell you, I, I've, I've thought about that before. I, I, you know, when you look around out there and there's more referees than you yeah, have yeah. On, players on a team. <laughs> What's happening? Here? Something yeah. in your head might be clicking. Of this, just ain't right. But yeah, um, huh. that's that's what was it like? Most of the game is it. Was it like the first quarter? <laughs> no, 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 no. I think it, I think I think it was like picturing like the whole game. Something like that's got to well, be. Well, so crazy. I think yeah. when they originally started, they were playing like four on four. Then they had like three guys foul out, oh. and you know the NCAA rule is as long as you've got two or more, if the referees deem you can continue to compete, mm-hmm. the game does continue. So that's fair. Yep, makes All sense. Good. What about like girls' games? You ever referee any girls' games, or you know? I did. Um, I referee girls' high school basketball here. Um, and then I was in the NBA program for about nine years where I refereed in the CBA, then the D-League, which is their minor league uh, system. It just started when I got in it. Mm-hmm. And then the last three years, I refereed the WNBA. So um, I've, I've, I'm pretty diverse in the referee world. I've always had the mm-hmm. mantra that is, if you'll give me a check, I'll probably referee it. Heck so, yeah. Who's so. more aggressive on the whole, males playing basketball or females? Yeah. Uh, that varies player to player, but I will tell you, I – from never having refereed college women and then going to referee the WNBA, I was shocked at some of the intensity, behavior. Um, there are some bad women. I believe that 100%. Mean I bet. Women with incre- incredibly 100%. skilled women. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, you know, you if, if you have the typical male perception of it's girls basketball, you should go watch a WNBA game up close because you'll quickly realize one, they're better than you. Yeah. And two, they'd probably beat your ass if needed. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. So, Intense um, people. Yeah. Yeah. Now I'm no referee to the caliber of you, but I used to referee when I was a teenager at the old YMCA as well. I did it. Yeah. Yeah. And yep. I used to always, I used to always say I hated refereeing the men's basketball league, the men and yep. then the women's <clears throat> soccer. The, the moms. Oh, yeah. oh, God, man. They're 
The men's vicious. basketball league is, vicious. and probably women's soccer, some of the greatest training ground for referees because you yeah. catch, like I refereed years at the Jewish Community Center, and then mm-hmm. I refereed the fraternity games when I moved back here and was finished up my degree at UofL. And, um, you know, the thing about refereeing is the better the players are, the easier the game. Mm-hmm. So, okay. yeah. so for me to go referee the, you know, Duke Virginia game this year when they were both number one in the country and one pole in the other pole, that game is far easier yeah. than refereeing, um, you know, the U of L Fata versus what is the name some other fraternity? <laughs> yeah, whatever, sure. Yeah. Because they just you know those guys are going to play like right. Zion is going to get the ball and score, and <laughs> it's irrelevant what happens around him. And you know, um, the guys are going to make three pointers. The ball's going to go in, and you can just kind of referee basketball. Whereas you know you got a fist fight and a claw fight in <laughs> in rec league games, as you know. Yeah, you know? I was saying. Yeah, yeah that, that's the last thing I'll say about that too. I remember that I was very nervous the first time they asked me to referee a, a high school game. Because I was younger and I just didn't think I was scared, you know. Yeah. And I remember uh, the first thing I thought was, "This is easier." It's like they, they they know the game, you know. They know the they game. know the rules. And then in, the other thing too, in the men's league, and this is this was me. It's how I got started. Is they all think they're great. Yeah. <laughs> they would have been Michael Jordan. They just didn't get their shot for sure. The five seven guy that's okay. you know checking in at about two ninety five right now. <laughs> back when I was twenty, you know he 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 that's, would have been Spud Webb. And but they, I blew out my knee. They just yeah they, lucky. They got lucky. Yeah. They just didn't see me. They missed on me. That's a perfect segue though, because what's some what's some of the best stuff you've had said to you? Because I'm sure people say crazy the best things tackles. to you. Uh, yeah, I'm sure that's a hard to even pull from that you know it's, it's probably we, like we could and reference we can curse words. all this out too yeah. <laughs> we just reference curse words you're like oh um, i got a good one from that word there too. we're nowhere I, near our swear uh, quota so that's true yeah. <laughs> we um, it all in the next five minutes we uh i had a game this year where we had a situation where a team at the end of the game in a pretty close game we had a jump ball where a team was supposed to get the possession on the alternating possession arrow where you know they flip the arrow at mm-hmm. halftime and the other team gets the ball on the next jump ball and the the home team didn't flip the arrow so i had to go tell the home coach hey i know you think you're getting the ball but your right. own table like the guys that you all pay to work the table they screwed up and didn't flip the arrow so you don't get the ball, you're probably going to lose. And he looked at me and he said, my table effing sucks. Talking about the referees, he says, you three effing suck. (laughs) And my team effing sucks. (laughs) And I looked at him and I said, hey, you know what? Uh, We're going to agree on two of the three, and I'm going to run on across the floor and be done with this. Where's my whistle at? (laughs) How about you hold that thought and let's get through the last 28 seconds and I'll see you in a couple months, or hopefully maybe I won't. But, uh, um, you know, we had another game um, probably – 10, 12 years ago where we had a, a kid uh, get hit just below the waist in a really sensitive area. And mm. his coach, his kid's laying on the ground, and his coach is saying, my kid got hit below the belt. And um, so our rule says we can go to the monitor and see if that's a flagrant foul. Mm. We can administer the penalty even though we didn't call it on the floor. Okay. okay. So we went and we tell this coach, very prominent coach, actually in the Hall of Fame now, very prominent coach, and we said, hey, they're saying their guy got hit, blah, 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 below the belt by your player. And he says, there's no way that happened because my player is too big of a P word to hit anybody. <laughs> and I said, huh. well, I'll tell you what, I'm not going to contradict you because you know your players, but we're still going to look anyway. 
We over there. He rabbit punches the That's guy so right in the crotch. Roll that beautiful home <laughs> footage. <laughs> so my my my, yes. pa- my partner, who was much more savvy and thinking way quicker than me, goes to the coach and he says, "I got some good news and I got some bad news." <laughs> he like tells that. the coach, "the The good news <laughs> is." And he says the player's name isn't near as big of a P word as you thought he was. <laughs> the bad news is we're throwing his ass out. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, coaches lose their minds for a couple hours a night. Mm-hmm. Um, but most of them that I've dealt with, uh, pretty fair. You know, that, you know, in college basketball, the attention's on coaches. and pro basketball, attention's on players. And if you think about it, you know, LeBron James and Tim Duncan and Kobe Bryant, those are guys that spend 20 years in the NBA. And in, in college coaching, you know, you've got your Mike Krzyzewski's, Jim Beheim's, people like that. They spend 40-plus years in, in coaching. So in college, the stability's in the coaches. So the coaches are really the focus of the game, and they're the star power that stays. Gotcha. And the NBA, the players, because of the length of the time they play in the league, are the star power that plays and what I've always tried to do is I tried to kind of take principle that I used in business and management and apply it to refereeing and I apply it now honestly and what I do with financial planning is if I were in that person's shoes what am I dealing with and how would I feel and how can I make their job a little easier or at least give them a perception of I'm being fair with them Mm. so I've always thought that if I can you know if you can transpose the situation and you can think that why is this coach mad at me? What's he got going on? Or if you're dealing with a client and you say, what's important to this person right now? How can I help him get it? Or with my employees, you know, what does this guy need? What are the tools he needs to succeed? How can I get those to him? Instead of thinking, you know, everything, you know, I, I think like the, my favorite definition of leadership is getting people to want to go where you need them to go. Mm. So That's if I can really figure good. out in any of those things, you know, refereeing, my 13-year-old daughter, biggest challenge <laughs> of all, <luck. laughs> uh, refereeing, um, business, anything, if I can figure out how to get those people to want to go where I need them to go, I win. Not always easy, but that's kind of my take on it. Gotcha. Your catalytic that. position. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Good show. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Awesome. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks, Thanks no, so much for coming in. It's been a pleasure this. being here. Um, you know, you guys know I've loved you guys since you had four employees. Now you got six million. I don't even know anybody. <laughs> I don't know what the hell's going on. So, no, we us appreciate too, it, James. Us too. <laughs> Thank you for joining us for another episode of the El Toro Podcast. Your host has been David Stadler with co-hosts Chris McConnell and Jeremy Ficklin. We would love to hear from you, so feel free to drop us a line and let us know your thoughts. We will see you next time.